Father, I thank you for this morning. God, I pray that you be with Joe as he's teaching um, the Faces of Christ retreat. Lord, there's several in here that have been blessed by that retreat. Lord, this morning, I, I pray for Chris. Lord, I pray that as he opens up your word, I pray that he doesn't have to be motivational or inspiring. He just needs to hide behind his word. I'm thankful for the men in this room. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thanks, Chris. Um, bring up that generosity challenge. i just share with you guys maybe something you guys could do as tables or friendship groups moving forward. We, we, our group has started this um, tradition. We do a Santa breakfast every year where we, whatever the generosity challenge is, we raise money for that. It goes this year, went to a single mom that was really in need. That was a neat thing how we came alongside her. But then we take, I always keep an extra little bit and we go um, to Waffle House and we leave a, a waitress just a monster tip just right before Christmas and we always do it. This year, uh, the guys were amazingly generous and we left her about $750. And I always do it, you know, I, we're six, eight, ten of us there. So I'm, I, and I'm paying for the bill. So she gives me the check and I always give them cash and I always put the small bills on top and hand her the money. And we just walk out, you know. One year a woman came chasing out after us in tears, you know. And um, this year we just walked out and one of our guys uh, went back in. He forgot his coat and he was saying the manager and the woman were crying together. And... Uh, so that that was it. He didn't he didn't stop and ask her anything. He left, um, and sure enough, about an hour later, I got a call from a number I didn't recognize. I listened to the voicemail, and it was it was uh, somebody here from church. The manager of the Waffle House is a Southeast member, and he called church to thank our church for the men of our church because his waitress had a rent due that she didn't know how she was going to pay. And she, they had been praying together how she was going to pay her rent. And a bunch of knuckleheads just decided to throw in some money and go eat breakfast one morning. And God used our group to be a blessing to her. So that was a, that was a, a neat moment for our group. And just a, something I'll throw out there as, as far as that generosity challenge. It's, a, it's always a good season to be generous, but something different about the holidays. And just uh, that was a special moment for our group. So. Uh, anyway, on to today. We're going 1 Corinthians um, chapter 3, and we are going to talk about moving from milk to meat. Uh, I want you guys to watch this video with me here before we get started. Play V reset to I left wing, U flex, fullback right, halfback Q8, crunch right, flex right counter. Bone, deep key left, boundary. I right west, squeeze, U left, toss 99 bust. Six jet, Frisco, half back chip, slow screen right, dynamite, full back follow on ducks, on ducks right. Did you hear that play call? It's like a, like a 19 word play call. So I don't know about you guys, I don't know how many football guys we have in here, but uh, I, I love the language of football. I was, I played football up until high school and then just played basketball and baseball in high school. Uh, and then, you know, played baseball after that. And baseball has its own language. Basketball certainly has its own language. Football's language is just different. It's just a different language. If you don't know the language, you have no chance to execute the play. If you don't know the language, right? How do I learn the language? Somebody teaches me the language. We get in film study, and I learn the nuances of what the language means, right? We get out there on the practice field with our, with our dudes, with our brothers, with our teammates, and we get in position. We work on the the 
specific roles of what the language means to each position group. And we go out there and rep it, rep it, rep it, rep it. And eventually, you find yourself in a huddle on Sunday morning where Andrew Luck, there's a piece of that that got cut off on the front end where he says, long one here, boys, listen up. And I don't know if that's been spliced and that was like three different play calls that they merged all together or if that was actually a play in the Colts playbook that year. But to, for us to listen to that kind of sounds silly, kind of sounds foolish. Like, what the heck am I going to do with that? I have no clue what he just said. I, uh, I've been coaching my, my uh, oldest boy, has just finished his, is in the midst of finishing his eighth grade year. And I, I coached his football team all the way up the ladder. Well, when we got to the seventh grade year, uh, Coach Cantwell over at Cal, my kids go to Cal, Coach Cantwell wanted us to start running the middle school playbook. Well, Coach Cantwell runs a Bobby Petrino system playbook for their high school. So for in middle school, we all of a sudden had to learn um, the high school language. So the old baseball guy had to learn football language really for the first time. And I'd kind of gotten a kick out of not being a football guy and using my own language. And I'd made up my whole offense and you know, from, so uh, anyway, I thought it was pretty cool that our kids were able to do it because kids only know the language you teach them. They don't know. Whatever you teach them, they, it's what they learn. So anyway, I get down, start sitting with Hunter, and he starts teaching me his language. And he asks me, so what was y'all's protection? And I was like, well, like, you mean like our pass protection? Yeah, like what, what, how'd y'all protect the passer? And I was like, well... We generally tell the guys to block who's in front of them, and we tell our quarterback, get rid of it before anybody hits you. Like, that, is, that, is that wrong? He's, we had a big laugh. And so it was very obvious to both of us I had a lot to learn. And as a dad of quarterbacks, you realize the pass protection language matters a lot. You know, uh, you get into middle school, and those boys, some of them start to get hair under their arms. Like, you better protect your quarterback. Uh, so anyway, all that to say, the language of sports, the language of football especially, man, it gives, us, it gives us marching orders. But it's unique. It's unique to football players. And then within that, it's unique to the, the team that you're on. Paul, one of my favorite things about 1 Corinthians is Paul speaks often about the unique language of believers. And we're going to talk today about this, this language of believers. It's unique to Christians. If you don't have the power of the Holy Spirit, some of it will be foolishness to you. It'll make no sense. And Paul talks about this. I, I, I committed this, this verse to memory, verse uh, 1 Corinthians 1.18. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. Like Just think about the juxtaposition of those two groups. One group, the message of the cross, the gospel, it's foolishness. Silly, fairy tale, myth. Whatever, made up to others, those that are being saved. It's the power of God. It couldn't be more different. And Paul speaks into this again in, in chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. He says, this is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness. and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The language of believers, it is essential that we are connected to the Spirit. I know Ronnie, I don't know exactly how Joe unpacked it last week, but last week for us and, and on Thursday, Ronnie talked a lot about walking in the Spirit, being connected to the Spirit. Like if, you've say, if you have been saved by Jesus, if you have accepted salvation, 
um, through the blood of Jesus. You have the Holy Spirit in you. Now, are we, are we being submissive to the Spirit? Are we inviting the Spirit in? Are we listening to the Spirit? Are we connected to the Spirit? That's a lot of times a different, a different thing, and Paul's going to talk about that here in a second. But the Spirit is within you. Romans tells us the same power that rose Jesus from the grave is within all of us that believe. And Paul is telling us, he's giving the secret sauce of, of understanding the play call. You have to be connected to the Spirit. Otherwise, it's just not going to make sense. And so that's, that's kind of our tee up to our, our passage here today. Where Paul's, I really dig this. I, I, I'm in full coach mode all the time, whether it's literally coaching uh, teams or with my five kiddos in the house, like it's a coaching season in my life. I'm coaching constantly, right? We got one still trying to learn how to wipe himself, and I got a daughter learning how to drive. You see what I'm saying? So it's like I'm in all different phases of coaching, uh, and it never stops. I do it for a living. Um, I love it. And so when I hear one of the reasons I love the gospel and one of the reasons I, I can really get into Jesus' teachings on a personal level is because Jesus is the greatest coach that ever lived. And, and from a discipleship standpoint, Paul is going to get onto his team here, so to speak. Okay, so just a little bit of background. Paul, about 50 AD, is when he established the church in Corinth. And so this letter is written sometime between 53 and 55 AD. And so it's been three to five years. Paul spent about 18 months with them. He coached them up for about 18 months. He's been gone for whatever, year and a half, two, three years, depending on when you think exactly this letter was written. And so Paul has found out that the team is not exactly adhering to some of the principles that he coached them up on. And so he's writing to them and really admonishing them on some things that they're not getting right and how they're not representing the gospel well. So that's the context of where we pick up here in chapter 3. So join me here with with your Bibles. Chapter 3, verse 1. Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual but as worldly, mere infants in Christ, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you are not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You're still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere men? You know, one of the things I get a kick out of with coaching teams is you establish your core values. You know, I got this from a Jay Wright, you know, what are your core values? What do, you, what do you guys want us to stand for? As opposed to, hey, man, this is how we're going to play. It's like, you, you guys tell me. What do you want this team to be about? You tell me, right? And then you get them to say it, and then you can hold them accountable to it, right? So, coach, we're going to play tough. We're going to play together. We're going we're gonna to have humility. We're going to treat our opponents with respect, okay? You know, they tell you all the good stuff. Well, now they've said it. Okay, is this, is this what we're going to do? Okay, Perfect. This is what we're going to do. Well, now you've just given me permission to hold you all accountable to that. So when the ball's on the ground and we're not the first team to die for it, we got problems. You're, you're the one who told me you wanted to play tough. I didn't tell you to do it. You told me, right? So Paul is kind of giving them this language here as he coaches them up. And he's like, are, are you not? Are you not acting like mere men? Like, wait, I thought, I thought we all understood this. Like, you have the power of the Holy Spirit. You're saved by the blood of Jesus. You guys are followers of a new way. They used to, before they started calling them Christians, Christians were referred to as followers of the way. You can find that in in, uh, the book of Acts. Like, wait, guys, we are a part of a new way, yet we're we're still tripping up on, on me and Apollos? Like, I thought we were all on the same page here. We follow Jesus. Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the foundation. 
I thought I could talk to you guys as big boys, but you're obviously still mere infants in the faith because you keep getting tripped up on this, like, who do you follow, me or Apollos? And it's just not a sign of a mature believer. And so Paul, and he sets this up for us in the first three chapters of Corinthians, there's kind of three types of people. There's the natural man who the gospel is foolishness to that man. It means nothing to him. He has no claim of Christianity. I always like when I interact with men one-on-one. What's your take on the Bible? Well, I think it's God's inspired word. I believe it from the first word to the last. Okay, that sets the tone of our conversation. Uh, I think it's a good book of wise saints. Okay, that's changes the way we're going to communicate, right? Or I don't know a thing about the Bible. Okay, well, that's because if, if they haven't confessed faith in Jesus and uh, proclaimed God's word as infallible, well, then we're, we, we can't have a certain conversation because we're not exactly dialed in on who our authority is. But if he does, well, then I can, I can be very clear as to like, hey, man, you're, you're clearly not obeying something that's written in God's word. Does that make sense? So Paul, Paul has already laid out this gospel to them. He's told them everything that he's getting on them about, and they're clearly not obeying it, and he lets them have it. Like, guys, we're, we're supposed to be the light of the world, and you guys are arguing over me and Apollos. We can do better than that. And I think to myself, in today's world, if Paul helicoptered in here, and he was coaching us up, and we were in the locker room with Paul, what, what would Paul say to us? You know, I, I think he would say, wait a second, the world is lost and confused. We're supposed to point them to a source of truth, and we can't stop fighting over who we're going to vote for in November. Come on, guys. Come on, guys. Come on now. Thought we were, I thought we'd move from milk to meat. Come on now. What are we doing here? Right? You're, you're supposed to be ready for solid food, but you guys don't get along with certain people, or you take shots at people that go to different denominations than you like we're, we're still caught up in you know this guy I can't invite that guy because he goes to a different church home like no 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 man we have unity in Christ let's not do that don't do that you guys are we're past that right come on guys y'all are supposed to be the light of the world yet statistically Christian men are just as addicted to porn as non-Christian men come on guys like I thought we were dudes in here we're, we're staring at pictures of naked women still like Y'all teenagers, are we men in here? What are we doing? I can just, I can hear Paul because I need to be coached up and convicted constantly. We're supposed to be great stewards of our money. Like I've entrusted you guys with worldly possessions, yet as men, we're, we're, we're spending more money gambling on ball games than we are advancing the gospel to the edges of the earth. What are we doing here, men? What we got? Thought we were all, I thought we were all speaking the same language. I guess not. So Paul just kind of, he kind of backs up and says, I, I thought I could address you like this, but I guess I can't. So let me back this thing up. And let me, let me, you know, I say to my five-year-old all the time, if you're going to act like a baby, I'm going to treat you like a baby. You don't like being spanked? Quit acting like a baby. And Paul is essentially saying the same thing to the church in Corinth. And then he's going to give us some He's going to move on to a little depth. He he kind of going to kick us in the shins with it's time to grow up. And then he's going to move on to deeper things. He says, verse verse 5, he says, What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants. Through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed. Apollos watered it. 
but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The only one who plant, the, the one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they each will be rewarded according to their own labor. We're going to talk a little bit about those rewards here in a minute. But Paul, Paul starts to get into some deeper things here that he's still kind of admonishing the infantile nature of the Christians, I mean of the, of the Corinthians. But if you catch it, he's also getting into some stuff that those of us that have moved from milk to meat should really be catching here. You, you, you see the humility of Paul. It's astounding, right? Paul is, Paul is and, and I think about this church, and many of you guys know him well. I think the most amazing quality about Bob Russell is his humility. And it's because Paul, uh, Bob speaks the language that Paul's talking about here. He, he's invested in the language of Scripture, which is God does the growing, so God gets the glory. And for those of you that are invested in disciple-making right now, could be, could be a buddy at work, could be a dude at your table right now, could be a child, could be a grandchild, could be some sort of friendship that you're trying to put your arm around a dude and point him to Jesus. Can I give you just a great word of encouragement, but also just a, a little bit of a warning? God does the growing. He gets the glory. But for me, as somebody actively involved in discipleship myself, like, that is a freeing feeling. That's not, I'm not supposed to be apathetic and just like, well, God's going to do what God's going to do. I, I, I have a role here, right? My role is to plant. My role is to water. But praise God, he's the only one that can make it grow. So I don't need to strangle this dude and beat him over the head and hope he gets it, right? I don't need to micromanage my kids and pray they become born-again Christians that make disciples that make disciples. Like, that's God's job. And I'm so grateful that that's God's job because I would definitely mess it up, right? But he gets the glory. He gets the glory. God decides that. I, uh, some of you guys might know this. I, I have this I have a podcast I do with a guy by the name of Jimmy Dykes. You guys that are SEC basketball fans, you, you know Jimmy. Beautiful man. Closet Kentucky fan. I always give him a hard time about it. But anyway, uh, he likes Tennessee too. But uh, we had a guy on yesterday that uh, his name's Ryan Carr. He's the va- vice president of the Indiana Pacers. He's in charge of their scouting department. Great story. I won't ruin him. Watch the poca- podcast, Coach Mill podcast. But – Part of the, as he put it, he was already a believer, but the, a huge part of his sanctification process, meaning the, the, his discipleship movement journey, came because a star athlete at his son's school, who was kind of a star football player but also on the basketball team, invited his freshman son, who was a student manager on the basketball team, to a Bible study, a youth group Bible study, and started coming his his son and daughter are twins. This senior started coming to their house and taking them every week to this Bible study. And the parents, you can imagine, some of you parents, you parents were so blown away by this act of kindness, so impressed by this senior athlete that had eyes for the one, in this case the two, that the parents were like, man, we got to check this church out. Well, they go to the church, come to find out, the kid's dad's the pastor. And Borderline in tears, Ryan explained to us how, how the faithfulness of a senior basketball player to invite 
two kids to a Bible study changed the course of his relationship with Jesus. And can I just tell you, men, for me, you know what my first instinct was? Man, that dad must be awesome. Like, but who's supposed to get that glory? God, God gets that glory, right? Not the dad. Like, I'm such a sinner and I'm such a coach. Like, oh, man, that dude got coached up so great that he's bearing fruit. Like, no, 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 no. The dad was obviously faithful in planting seeds and watering seeds. But God gets the glory for that. Praise God for that. And the kid is the one who's doing it, right? I'm just so quick to give man the credit for things that God makes grow. So it's a beautiful story of, of faithfulness and discipleship. But Paul is, is, is helping us out here because, number one, when we think it's our job to make it grow, we're going to beat ourselves up when it doesn't work. And, we're, and, we're, and the, the enemy's going to whisper, you know, you're not very good at that discipleship thing. You might want to just keep your mouth shut. Or he's going to puff you up and you end up with spiritual pride of like, Man, I'm really good at this. Look at how big my table is. Look how many dudes we have. Like, no, no, neither one of those are true. Neither one of them is true. God gets the glory. God does the growing. You with me on that? And Paul is, is setting the table for what a, a, a person that's moved from milk to meat understands, which is, go back to verse 5, what after all is Apollos and what after all is Paul? What are they? He says it very clearly. What, what, what's it say right after that? Servants. That's it. You guys think I'm like so important you all are fighting over me or Apollos? Not at all. We're just both servants. That's just, that's what we are. And again, praise God for a church where our senior pastors model that very, very well for us. <clears throat> As we go on, verse 9, <clears throat> we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. Each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is. Because the day, I want you guys to, to take note of that. In your Bibles, is the word day capitalized? Yeah. The day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and fire will test the quality of each person's work. It has been... If, if what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. There's this reward language we're talking about. If it's burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. So this is important back to this language of believers, right? You, you got to have the Holy Spirit to dive in here and really digest all that, all that Paul's talking about. We got to be tethered to the vine. We got to be investing in the things of God. We have to have a deeper understanding of the tenets of Christianity to really follow what Paul's saying here. This whole conversation is not about salvation. You go back to the first verse, brothers and sisters. Like, he's talking to the family of believers. This is not about you're saved or you're not saved. This is about spiritual maturity. This is about deepening our walk with the Lord, right? And about moving from milk to meat. And so Paul here is talking about things that I don't know about you guys, but like for me, I have to really prayerfully work through these verses. Why? This whole concept, I don't know how you guys are, this whole concept of rewards in heaven, treasures in heaven. I just am like, okay. Like, you know, I, I'm, 
I've spent my whole life in this competitive world and I love it. Like, I kind of don't want heaven to feel like that. I, I, I want it to just like, can't we all just be the same in heaven? Here's the good news. It doesn't matter what I want or what I think. It, it's God's word. It's his language. It's my job to learn it, trust it, and obey it. And we see very clearly, Jesus talked about treasures in heaven. Paul has now talked about rewards twice here in this passage. And, you know, Jesus, Jesus, don't store up for yourself treasure on earth where moth and, and vermin destroy and thieves, thieves break in and steal. Church, store up for yourself treasures in heaven <clears throat> where, your, where your heart is, where your money is, there your heart will be also, right? Where your treasures is, there your heart will be also. Like Jesus had talked about this. Paul is reiterating, there are rewards in heaven. First thing's true. Only foundation, Paul says it very clearly, the only foundation is Jesus, right? That's it. You are God's handiwork. You are God's field. You are God's building. Verse 9, if, if anybody's struggling with identity today, praise God for verse 9. If you're looking for, man, what am I, what am I doing with my life? Here, here, here's what Paul has to say for you. You are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, and you are God's building. If that's not an identity for you, I, I don't know what could possibly be. So wherever that finds you, you're a mechanic, you're retired, you're, you're, you're a doctor, you're a lawyer, you're a teacher, you're, you're whatever, wherever the Lord has you, this is actually who you are. And he just put you there to be his hands and feet in this place and time, right? It's a beautiful identity verse. By the grace God's given me, I've laid a foundation as a wise builder and someone else is building on it. But make no mistake, the foundation that we see there in verse 11 is Jesus Christ. That's it. That's it. But our lives, we're, gonna, we're building on that. And Paul says at the end, what our lives stood for, our ability to be used by God to bear good fruit, is going to be tested by the fire. And some are going to be precious stones that last through that fire. Some, it's going to be wood, hay, and straw, and it's going to burn up like that. And I don't know what it looks like. And I think it's a good thing that we don't know what it looks like because we're sinful and human. And maybe if we did know what it looks like, we'd be, ah, it's not that cool. I'm not, I'm not. Like, no, I want to I chase after the, the mystery, the profound mystery of treasures in heaven. I want to invest in the things of God. Number one, to make him known and show love to other people. But, hey, man, if there's treasures in heaven, I wouldn't mind a few. I wouldn't mind a few. Like, I I don't know, but it very clearly is the truth. And I kind of am kidding when I say this, but I'm kind of serious. Don't miss verse 15. If it's burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but will be saved. But only is one escaping through the flames. Now, I don't know about you guys. I'll take heaven however I can get it. I just want to be in heaven. You guys with me on that? Amen, right? But I, I really don't want to be running in with my tail on fire. You guys with me on that? <clears throat> I'd rather not. I'm in. I'd rather not. Now, praise God, he's the one that makes those decisions, right? But here's, here's what we do know. You know, sometimes we get caught up in what we don't know. I had my man Tom ask me about something today. Sometimes we can get lost in what we don't know. What do we know? What do we know? We know that we are called 
to invest in treasures in heaven. That's what we do know. We know that we are called to follow the playbook that God has set up for us for his glory and the good of others. We are certain of that. And back to my original story, just a bunch of dudes from a Thursday morning decided to throw some cash in a hat and hand it to a, that, that one's going to last. That one's going to last. There's a lot of wood and straw and hay in my life. Mr. Bridgman's seen some of it. You come watch me coach a game. I got some wood and hay and straw. I, trust me. I got a few things that are last. And I'm going to try to build on that through God's grace. Not for my glory, but for his, because he, he does the growing, not me. But this, this concept, guys, this concept of eternal treasures, eternal rewards, I don't know about you, but it's a great motivator for me to keep my eye on the prize. And what, what I've noticed about sometimes the difference between milk drinkers and meat eaters, some of you guys have, who's got a son that's like in their 25 to 35 range? <clears throat> when he was young, what did he like to eat? Junk. Now he's older, you take him to dinner, where does he want to go? <laughs> right? I had somebody say Jeff Ruby's the other place. Like it used to be when my five-year-old, I, dude, I can hand it mac and cheese. He thinks it's the greatest thing ever, right? <clears throat> you, you get in the 20s, like, hey, Dad, let's go somewhere nice. I'd like a nice steak. Yeah, that's right. And as believers, when we start moving from milk to meat, we move past this concept of, I'm saved. Praise God, I'm saved. Yes, you're saved. And that is a free gift of God so that no one can boast. Right? Uh, Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the gift of God. You did nothing to earn it. That is a gift. Praise God for that gift. Ephesians 2.8, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. But the prize, that's the gift. The prize that we're going to talk about later in 1 Corinthians. The prize is holy living. The prize is abundant life. The prize is watching men and people that you've poured into walk in the truth. The prize is a calmed conscience. The prize is investing in the things of the kingdom of God. That's the prize. And when you're around someone who's chasing after the prize, not for their glory, but for God's, it, there is a very distinct joy and purpose that emanates from those people. And so as, as men, as we're trying to move from milk to meat, like, can we rest in the, in the peace that only God provides, the fact that he saves us, not our works? Our faith and our confession of that faith in Jesus saves us on that day, capital D, whatever that day exactly looks like. Not an end times conversation. I'll let, I'll let Joe get into that. But, but he has so much more for us until that day. Let's not just drink milk until that day. Let's not run into heaven with our tails on fire. Man, let's, let's chase after the prize. Uh, Again, for God's glory and the good of others, that's what we are called to. So, three ways, three ways you know you're moving from milk to meat. Three ways. Kind of self-reflection here. We'll get into this at our tables. 
you know you're moving from milk to meat when you're investing in biblical knowledge that increases your obedience, not, not increases your biblical aptitude, but increases your obedience that bears good fruit. Knowledge, obedience, good fruit. You start seeing that process playing out in your life, you're moving from milk to meat. You're moving down that spectrum. You're starting to, to really invest in the, in the rewards that Paul's talking about. Number two, when you are intentional about planting and watering seeds, Paul told us very clearly, I planted, Apollos watered, God made it grow. Like, but when you're moving from milk to meat, you are looking for ways to plant and water seeds. Some people, no measure of the gospel in their life. We need to plant some seeds there, man. Some people, man, there, there's, a, there's some faith in there. We need, to, we need to come alongside them, put our arm around, start watering those seeds a little bit. God will make it grow in his time. And the third way, again, there's a million ways, a million things here, but this is from each of our passages of scriptures that we've kind of broken down. The third way is when you are investing in holy living, investing in the things of God, both with your actions and your finances, and you're not just settling for the gift, but you're truly chasing after the prize, right? Whatever that looks like, wherever you need to move within your own walk with the Lord. So my prayer for us as a group, that this would be a group that invests in the things of God by putting our nose in the word of God, which is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. That is the only source through God's word, the power of the Holy Spirit, we can move from milk to meat so that, so that we can point other people to God and let him do what only he can do, which is make it grow. Let me, let me pray for y'all. Father God, you are good, you are great. You are holy. You are the one that makes things grow. And so we acknowledge that here in this room, Lord.